Welcome to Let's Chat, a weekly podcast dedicated to discussing the Sunday Sermon from Asbury Church in Wichita, Kansas. You're invited to join the discussion on the Sermon Discussion Facebook group page. This week, Nathan Snyder, Asbury's worship pastor, will be talking about his sermon, Why Do You Doubt?, taken from John 20, 24 through 29. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. This is Nathan from Asbury Church. Usually, I'm the music guy, but this last Sunday, Rick and Susan were both traveling to a conference, so I got to give the sermon. So here I'm going to share a little bit more detail about my own doubt and what I think somebody could do who's struggling with doubt, and they're at the beginning of their journey. But first, I just wanted to let listeners know, I think we're going to return to the conversation format at some point. We just got a bunch of new equipment so we can hook up mics and stuff, and you know, three or four of us could sit down and actually chat and bounce off each other, talking about the sermon, answering your questions and stuff. But we don't know how to hook this equipment up yet, so we're still trying to figure out how it works. But we'll get back to the roundtable format at some point soon. But for this episode, I'm flying solo. Lately, we've been talking about these questions that Jesus asked, and the question I got to talk about Sunday was, why do you doubt? We were talking about doubting Thomas in John chapter 20, verses 20 through 29. And if you missed what I talked about, you can go to asburychurch.org, or you can go to the Asbury Church Facebook page, and there you'll find the Sunday morning service, and you can listen to the sermon if you missed it. But today what I wanted to do was go a little bit more in-depth talking about doubt. So on Sunday, I gave this analogy. I showed a staircase that was supposed to symbolize our journey of faith. And on the first step of the staircase, there's a lot of doubt. A person on step one in their faith journey probably has a lot of questions. They're not sure if they can trust the Bible. Maybe they're not sure who God is or... If there is a God, and there's all these religions out there, so which one is accurate, if any, and those kind of things. So they have lots and lots of questions. But if you look at the top of the staircase, we have someone who's made it through several steps in their faith journey. There still might be doubt, but there's trust. They have enough reasons to have faith. They have enough reasons to believe. I also talked about this idea of evidence. I think that throughout the Bible, God showed a commitment to giving us evidence, giving us reasons to believe so that we could form trust. I mean, we don't just trust anybody. We're kind of taught as a kid, don't trust strangers. Well, over time, we have to see reasons. We have to see evidence so that we can trust a person. I think we kind of experience the same type of thing in our faith journey. So I kind of wanted to focus on a person on step one of the staircase someone who's experiencing a lot of doubt. Where do they go? What is a first step in their faith journey? So I think there's some categories of doubt we should talk about first. First, I think there's intellectual doubt. Sometimes we just need more information. Sometimes we just don't know what sources we can trust. So we have to do some digging. We have to do some research and check out uh, what's true, what's not true. I think there's another kind of doubt too, I think sometimes we're skeptical for emotional reasons. Maybe something just kind of sounds off or we don't like it. Maybe we don't like the idea that God wiped out a bunch of civilizations in the Old Testament. And that doesn't sit well with us. For me, the God of the Old Testament seemed really scary for a long time. 
So that's something that I had to work through. That was a part of my doubt journey. If your doubt has more to do with church hurt, a lot of people have had some bad experiences with church, or they feel like maybe they've experienced some harsh judgment from religious people. And that's something that even I've experienced myself as a Christian. These kinds of bad experiences can cause an emotional response or reaction to religion. So sometimes that's something we have to work through. I think if you're in the boat where you've experienced church hurt or you're, you're having an emotional response because you've had a bad experience with Christianity or religion, I think my recommendation for you would be to watch the show called The Chosen. It's a free show, but what it does is it focuses on who Jesus is and the things that he taught, the way he loved people, the connections between Jesus and the Old Testament. But what I really like about it is it addresses this issue of legalism and religious judgment. And it kind of contrasts the way things are supposed to be versus the way sometimes humans carry things out. Because sometimes, even today, I think the way people practice their religion doesn't always match up with what the Bible is actually teaching, or like the heart of the message. So when The Chosen came out, I was like, wow, this could be a really good tool. Some people that I talk to who have had a bad experience with the church they're not interested in going back right now. It's too emotionally raw. Uh, maybe they don't want to feel that kind of judgment again. Well, an alternative is get together with some friends and watch this show, The Chosen, or watch it on your own. I don't think everybody's spiritual journey has to look the same. So if the traditional route doesn't appeal to you, I think we're in a place with technology where there are now alternatives you can watch The Chosen at thechosen.tv slash app, or you can find The Chosen app in most app stores on Chrome TV, Amazon Fire, YouTube, and the show's free. So I think that's a good place to start if you're feeling emotional doubt about church or about religion. If your doubt centers more around whether or not you can trust the Bible, whether or not it's true, that's more of like what my journey was when I was in my 20s. So what does a person at this point in their journey do? Where do you begin? Well, I think Christianity is built on the claim that Jesus came back from the dead. And if somebody were to disprove that, or were to find the body or something like that, even Paul said Christianity would be false. His preaching would be in vain, is what he said. So the first thing I would suggest doing is looking into whether or not Jesus came back from the dead. Because I think Christianity lives or dies by this claim. If we start our investigation with this claim, it covers a lot of emotional and intellectual doubts that we may have. Let me explain this a little bit. There are things about the Bible that I don't like emotionally, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not true. You don't really have to like everything. I mean, the realities of life is that there's some things in life that we don't like, right? Like, not everything is nice, but it could still be true. And the thing is, if we hang in there long enough, maybe eventually we'll learn the why, and we might be able to get to a place where we can accept something we don't like that's in the Bible, that is there for a reason or out of necessity with more information. So you don't have to like everything. And we don't have to like something for it to be true, but personally, I would rather know the truth. 
So I would challenge you to try to hang in there as long as you can if you're dealing with some kind of emotional rejection. I can understand where you're coming from because I've been there myself. But how would one even start investigating this claim? I mean, Jesus returning from the dead, how do you measure something like that? How do you check it out? Well, I think there's some things that you can do here that you could really do to investigate any historical claim. I like to trace things back to their roots. I'm kind of in a habit of that. Anytime someone says something or makes a historical claim, I'm like, okay, what do the early sources say? I like to trace it back. I like to see, are there any witnesses? And if so, how many? And what did they say? So we can actually trace these stories about Jesus' death and return from the dead back to their origin. So this might involve researching the earliest writings about Jesus, taking a look at who the authors were, and maybe what their motives might have been. Did they have any reason to lie? Well, if not, then maybe that gives us a little more reason to trust them. Did they stand to gain anything? Were they trying to gain power? Did they gain money? Anything like that. If not, then maybe we can give them a little more trust. Now here's something that was a big deal to me. This was kind of one of the game changers for me when I was struggling with doubt. Are there sources from outside the Bible that support what the New Testament said about Jesus? There are actually quite a few. There's a pretty big list, and I'll I'll get to where you can find that. But it was a big deal to me that there was some kind of historical writing from outside the Bible to corroborate what the writers of the New Testament were saying about Jesus. I didn't even necessarily need these historical documents to say Jesus is God or something like that, but all I needed them to say was something to corroborate that a lot of people were saying they saw Jesus after he died. Another point, are there multiple witnesses that tell the same story? I'm really unlikely to believe a wild claim just from one person, especially from a long time ago. But if there were many people saying the same thing, it becomes a little bit harder for me to doubt. So then maybe I can trust what they're saying a little more. Now here's something that was really important to me too. Was the story written down when eyewitnesses were still alive? So I wanted to know were the New Testament books written when there were still lots of people who saw and knew Jesus still alive? I wanted to know that if the stories in the New Testament were a lie, I wanted to know that it was written at a time when people could have set the record straight. They could be like, no, I knew Jesus and that didn't happen. Or they could say, the body's not missing, it was moved to this location, or something like that. The difference between the claims about Jesus' resurrection from the dead and a lot of other faith claims uh, from various religions are that the claims of Christianity took place in public. And that's a big deal, because it's harder to fabricate something that took place in public, but if it took place behind closed doors, then nobody would be able to verify whether or not it was true or false. Those are all things that helped me form trust in the Bible, because in my 20s and in college, I always believed that there was a God who was the creator because of I I love space, and I looked into a lot of Origin of the Universe stuff, and that just seemed to make the most sense to me personally, but I struggled with, like, did these miracles really happen? I was super skeptical of um, anything supernatural in the Bible, and I actually believed 
for a long time that the reason those things were there was because the Bible was embellished over time. I actually held that belief for several years, and then when I decided to try to trace these claims back to their roots, I changed my mind. The more I looked at the evidence, it didn't look like my legend idea held up very well because of some of the things we've talked about. But here's the tricky part. Not everybody looks at the evidence and sees the same thing. And sometimes if you answer a question, you will uncover even more questions. Sub-questions. For example, we don't have the original manuscripts of the New Testament. We have copies, and we may have some fragments. That's debatable. They're not 100% identified or not. But if we don't have these copies, some of my friends really have a hard time trusting that, that what we have today matches the original. That is a good point, and that is a little bit of a discomfort. But I would suggest that you don't actually have to have the original if you have enough other evidence to tell you or try to verify what the original said. It does come down to trust. I can't give you like a silver bullet or a guarantee, but there are evidential reasons to think that the story stayed the same, especially if it was widely circulating and while witnesses were still alive who could have set the record straight. So I'm going to give you some examples. A lot of scholars will talk about 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. It's an early statement of beliefs from the early church, and a lot of scholars will use it as evidence to show this is how we know that the claims about Jesus returning from the dead were widely circulating, because, I mean, these churches were popping up all over the place out of the region, and they all believed Jesus returned from the dead. So the statement says this, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So this wasn't written down until the mid-50s by Paul, but Paul didn't actually create it. Scholars believe that this was circulating in the mid-30s, and some believe it was maybe in like 40 AD, but even if you think about it, that's only seven or eight years after the crucifixion. So this statement was the foundation of all of these churches that were popping up all over the place in different countries. I mean, it was spreading pretty widely. What was really important to me in my investigation was to see that all scholars believe Paul wrote that down in the 50s. Now, scholars are split on when the Gospels were written. Some think they were written in the 50s, 60s, and John was later, probably in the 80s. And other scholars think they were all written after 70 AD. Well, that's much later. That's 40 years. But everybody, atheist, agnostic, Christian, all of the scholars believe that that Christian creed was written in the early to mid-50s, less than 20 years after Jesus died, and that it existed much before then. Because if you think about it, if it had traveled that far and, and stayed consistent, they didn't have internet back then. They didn't have nearly as many written copies of things. It took time for it to spread. So if you kind of rewind that like a tape and you, you try to estimate when it originated, you, you've got to allow many years for it to spread that far. That's going to put the origin of this creed pretty quick after Jesus died. 
because that claim says Jesus came back from the dead, I don't necessarily worry that we don't have the original copies, because the existence of this early creed makes legend theory unlikely. Before I looked into all that, I assumed there was like a hundred year gap after when Jesus died and when the stuff was written down. And that's why I was worried, like, oh, maybe things evolved into a legend. But if I could trace it back that early after the events, lots of witnesses, it became really hard for me to continue clinging to legend theory. But it does come down to trust. Here are a couple maybe common sense reasons that we might be able to trust this version of the story. If the story split at some point and evolved, it would branch off into two stories. Then there should be two versions of the story. So if Jesus didn't really come back from the dead, or he didn't really die on the cross, or if his body was moved or something like that, then there should be a version of the story early in history that says that. We ought to have some writings that say that. We ought to have two versions of the story. Or we ought to see the two sides fighting with each other to try to reconcile and say who's right, you know? There were some other versions of the story, but I threw them out because they were written more than 150 years later. So I pretty much only care about things that could be verified by eyewitnesses. Then anything after that, I would be skeptical of. I use that kind of as a rule of thumb. And that rule of thumb eliminates some of the claims from Da Vinci Code, like Jesus was married and has kids and stuff like that, because that stuff didn't pop up until about 200 years after the crucifixion. Nobody's left alive at that point to set the record straight, and none of that information is present in anything written by anyone who was alive at that time, so I feel comfortable eliminating it and saying it's not good evidence. A historian or a scholar is going to look at those things and say, that's not a primary source. So to sum that up, because there's only one version of the story and there's not several different versions out there, I became comfortable trusting this crazy claim that Jesus came back from the dead. But here's a modern analogy. That early statement of beliefs in 1 Corinthians 15 and probably the book of Mark were written maybe 20 years or less after Jesus' death. That's a long time, right? 20 years? I've got some friends who are not comfortable with 20 years. Like, a lot can happen in that time. Well, it's also been about 20 years since 9-11, so I tried to think through a comparison here. What if I were to tweak the story a little and say that instead of two planes crashing into the Twin Towers, there were three planes? Or what if I made some other major tweaks to the story? That was a public event that a lot of people saw, I would expect that if I were to change the story like that, if I were to post a blog, like somebody would hop on there pretty quick and correct me. So I kind of think the same thing would have happened with these early claims about Jesus because they took place in public. We ought to see some historical writings that are a correction. I would think that historians like Josephus and others, instead of saying, wow, these are the things that Christians are saying happened. They're saying Jesus came back from the dead. Instead of that, I would think that they would be setting the record straight instead. Because I don't think the Romans wanted this kind of claim floating around out there, because it would be kind of a threat to their power. All right, so that's a lot of information. When I was struggling with doubt, I was struggling with Christianity. I was really trying to figure out what was true. 
I put every major religion through these tests. How many witnesses were there? Did these things happen in public or private? How early were these things written down? How far were they circulating? Things like that. Are there multiple versions of the story? Those are all little tests that I did to help me decide what I could trust. And you ought to make your own decisions in your faith journey, but these are hopefully some tests that you can use. There's a book that was really important for me called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. So if you're interested in this sort of thing, I would recommend first maybe watching the movie. There's a 2017 movie, The Case for Christ, that's really good. It's an 80s period piece. So if, if you're at step one in your journey and you're feeling a lot of doubt, I would watch the movie first. Lee Strobel was an atheist journalist. He worked for the Chicago Tribune, and he actually set out to try to disprove Christianity and was documenting it. Well, he ended up changing his mind and converting to Christianity, and then he wrote what he found in that book. But as I said, it was originally an attempt to disprove Christianity, and the movie does an awesome job of condensing that story into two hours, and it's entertaining. So you can, you can watch it like entertainment, but it'll expose you to some of the things that he uncovered. So he'll talk about all the ancient sources and dig up the evidence, and then you can go look up the ancient documents yourself and decide what you think. But if you like the movie, maybe a next step is hopping on Google and reading, reading the source material that he dug up, or maybe it's reading the book. There's another book I really like. It's called Cold Case Christianity. In that book, a homicide detective who was an atheist conducted his own investigation. I have some friends who are kind of skeptical of anybody who's writing a book because they think, well, they're writing this to make money. And I can understand that. But what they're going to do, though, is they're going to list all the ancient documents that you can go look up. So even if you're skeptical of these guys because they're a Christian author, they're going to talk about those ancient sources and they're going to talk about all the sources of evidence that come from outside the Bible, which was the most compelling thing for me in my own faith journey. Okay, I hope that gave you a starting point if you have a lot of questions, or if you know someone who has questions and they're struggling with doubt, sit down and watch The Chosen or watch that Case for Christ movie with them and just ask them what they think about it and just let them share their doubts, their thoughts, their questions. There's an episode of The Chosen I was watching today. It's season one, episode five. Thomas is talking to Jesus, and Thomas doesn't believe. He has no faith yet. And Jesus, instead of looking down on him, he says, I do not rebuke you. It is good to ask questions. So I like to take that attitude. I love to talk to people about this stuff. So if you want to talk more about this stuff, uh, give us a shout through the Asbury Church Facebook page or asburychurch.org. Thank you guys for listening. Hopefully we'll have a full discussion crew back on the podcast soon, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for taking time to listen to Let's Chat, Asbury Church's weekly podcast dedicated to discussing the Sunday sermon. We invite you to worship with us on Sunday mornings or anytime via our website, www.asburychurch.org, YouTube, or Facebook. Then let us know what you think about the Sunday Sermon on the Sermon Discussion Facebook page. Have a wonderful day, and God bless.